power on. And starring the mad prophet of the airways, Howard Beale. George Ruddy died today. Edward George Ruddy was the chairman of the board of the Union Broadcasting Systems, and he died at 11 o'clock this morning of a heart condition, and woe is us. We're in a lot of trouble. So, a rich little man with white hair died. What has that got to do with the price of rice, right? And why is that woe to us? Because you people and 62 million other Americans are listening to me right now. Because less than 3% of you people read books. Because less than 15% of you read newspapers. Because the only truth you know is what you get over this tube. Right now, there is a whole, an entire generation that never knew anything that didn't come out of this tube. This tube is the gospel, the ultimate revelation. This tube can make or break presidents, popes, prime ministers. This tube is the most awesome goddamn force in the whole godless world. And woe is us if it ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. And that's why woe is us that Edward George Ruddy died. Because this company is now in the hands of CCA, the Communication Corporation of America. There's a new chairman of the board, a man called Frank Hackett, sitting in Mr. Ruddy's office on the 20th floor. And when the 12th largest company in the world controls the most awesome goddamn propaganda force in the whole godless world, who knows what shit will be peddled for truth on this network. So you listen to me. Listen to me. Television is not the truth. Television is a goddamn amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. So if you want the truth, go to God. Go to your gurus. Go to yourselves. Because that's the only place you're ever going to find any real truth. But man, you're never going to get any truth from us. We'll tell you anything you want to hear. We lie like hell. We'll tell you that uh, Kojak always gets the killer and that nobody ever gets cancer in Archie Bunker's house. And no matter how much trouble the hero is in, don't worry, just look at your watch. At the end of the hour, he's going to win. We'll tell you any shit you want to hear. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Earth, 2019. Dominant species, human. Galactic potential rating, zero. Cultural affiliation, 
combination of government and global businesses, corporatism, legacy institution. Species still conservative, superstitious, and religious. Ecologically illiterate, largely unaware of cosmological foundation of love. Level of technological dependence is disturbingly higher than the galactic standard. Species distracted and behavior controlled by technology companies. System error. Advanced concepts detected beyond normal human levels. New galactic potential rating, over 9000. Transmission type, podcast. Host, The Man of Tomorrow. Brian Sovereign. Source, Sovereign Tech. I know, I know, you weren't expecting the man of tomorrow so soon. Well, special occasion happening uh, recently, so I need to release this episode of Sovereign Tech early instead of you getting it late into next week. I uh, don't care to do that myself, so to have it here on time, uh, well, ahead of time, you're getting it ahead of time. And we have a lot to talk about. In fact, we got an interesting follow-up from episode 337, which just came out a couple days ago. So if you haven't heard that one yet, go listen to it, because you're going to hear a follow-up that was actually sent to me from a great Sovereign Tech listener. I mean, she's just wonderful. Uh, that had to do with, well, one of my favorite things, that is me being right. <laughs> so... We're going to cover that during the foreplay here uh, in just a minute, and we also have well, we have a lot to talk about throughout this episode. In fact, we have one very, uh, if you're a member of the Zomia 1 Underground, and you listen to the recent Zomia 1 Underground Q&A, you're going to know I mentioned that there is a story that just absolutely enraged me, and I couldn't believe it because it put everything, so many things that we've talked about, so many different topics, so many different subjects that, and technologies, obviously, because this is sovereign tech that we've covered over this year's or, or over the show's seven year history. And it put it all in one of all things during a Senate hearing. And I think it's important that we cover that entire story. We re, we read quotes from that Senate hearing, including a particularly interesting quote from a senator and break that down. But then we also have some other things where really I get proven right. Uh, and this has to do with really one of the first major uh, uh, data leaks as far or data breaches as far as biometrics go. And it's going to end up proving a lot of things that I've been warning about with biometrics. Also, sadly, I wish it wasn't true, but sadly, right. In fact, I get annoyed by some of the language in this article because... Uh, I've said the very thing that they're saying nobody paid attention to or nobody considered. And it's like, no, fucking the Golden Stallion considered it just fine. Just nobody cared to listen or nobody cared to do anything about it. Or people just wanted to, you know, lick their, their greasy fingers, their greasy palms uh, with however many pieces of silver they could and not give a shit 
about security, about actual genuine security, because there is a way to go about that, that frankly, a lot of computer scientists, cybersecurity specialists, uh, and cryptographers have thought about for decades at least. So we're going to cover that uh, as well. But before we get into all of that, I have to wish a very happy anniversary, so we shall we say, to an app that has been uh, a part of Sovereign Tech history as much as anything else has been. And yes, I said an app, that being a messaging app, and that being Telegram. Today, as of when this is getting recorded, or if you want to be saucy, you could say this week, but I think the, the technical date is August 14th. Um, you are Telegram, okay, by well-noted anarchist, uh, that being Pavel Durov, Okay. Um, he, one of the guys who originally founded VK, uh, which is kind of the Facebook of Russia, uh, but then he left that after varying pressures and VK becoming probably a monster he couldn't, he didn't want to support ethically anymore. Uh, but regardless, he created Telegram. Now we've talked about Telegram a lot, uh, where, you know, it makes a lot of the right moves. We have questioned some of its cryptography or its cryptography, I should say, not some, its cryptography, but we've, you know, always brought it up that there is a genuine need and use case for a platform, really, because it's more than just a messaging app, but this platform uh, that is so feature rich that we really need. And look, you know, in the blockchain space, I mean, Telegram's it. Like, if you want to talk to anybody in that space, you're just about going to use Telegram. I, I practically guarantee it. I mean, it just happens. Uh, it's part of the reason that I use it so much. Um, it's the main app that I use to communicate with the team around Zomia One and Sovereign Tech. Uh, I mean, it's just, it, it's just integrated itself so deeply. And it's one of the, I think it's one of the top three messaging apps, really, I, or I, I, depending upon your metric, but it usually ends up in the top three messaging apps in the world, uh, right behind, say, WhatsApp and probably Facebook Messenger. Uh, other parts of the world, granted, Line might get in on there, uh, you know, because that's very popular in Japan and so on. But I mean, it's amazing because I've been talking about Telegram, using Telegram, uh, you know, pretty much as soon as it came out. Uh, and its history goes almost line in line with Sovereign Tech. Uh, and I mean, it's just, it's amazing that it's still here when you consider, uh, the challenges from like pressures from governments, uh, a lot of other pressures that it's dealt with. And also, I mean, the fact that, you know, I mean, consider how many other apps can you really think of? I mean, you can think of some of the big ones, but like, as far as one that's, you know, kind of the little train that could, as far as apps go, how many of them are still here and still so actively fucking developed does not run on an ad model. Uh, I mean, it's amazing that it's, that it's still, I mean, it's just thri it's thriving after six years. It, it's really, really impressive. Uh, so I got to tip my hat off to, uh, to Pavel Durov because way to go, man. <laughs> like, this thing's still rolling and it's, I dare say it's hotter than ever. And I mean, there's just more features I mean, the updates come so hot and heavy. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I've talked about it. I've talked about this. I said, you know, Signal is phenomenal. And there's no question that sig the Signal protocol is just the gold standard. Now, we also talked a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, the inherent problems around smartphones, you know, being secure in any way, shape or form. And that really, you know, the idea of end-to-end -end encryption on a smartphone is an illusion, right? We've, we've talked about that. I mean, we're, we're, we're honest, we're frank on this show, you understand. Uh, and I was actually quoting none other than Steve Gibson of the Security Now podcast, and really a guy who's just one of the top minds in his field. 
Um, you know, he was saying that on his own show. And, and I thought it was a very important subject and very important thing to talk about. But bottom line being, regardless of where you sit in that camp, I think it's incredibly important to have a platform with so many features that's so feature rich that can be an alternative to get people off of Facebook or WhatsApp, which is, of course, Facebook. Go down the list and to have that and Telegram is there. You know, if you don't want to bet your life on what you're, you know, what you're sending, what message you're sending on it, okay. But it does have a place. It does have a purpose. And I just, again, hats off to being around for six whole years. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I can barely think other than Gmail. I can't even think of a Google service that's lasted that long. Fuck, you know, <laughs> so for, for Telegram to still be around in this environment, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's no small feat. So anyway, um, boy, I mean, I'll tell you, though, encrypted communications, nothing quite gives me a hard on like that. But if I want a little bit of an extra hard on, you know what I do? I check out Sovereign Tech sponsor, Blue Chew. That's right, Blue Chew. Go to bluechew.com. Blue as in the color blue, because it's the blue pill. And chew because it's chewable, unlike the ones you have to swallow. Maybe you don't want to swallow, you want someone else to swallow. Well, if you want them to have a lot to swallow, maybe you'll want to take Blue Chew, right? You know what I'm talking about. If, you know, maybe you're getting up in years, whatever, you know, things aren't getting as, uh, you know, when you go into the bedroom, you're with your best gal or best guy. I don't care. You know, and, uh, well, things aren't getting hard and ready like they used to. Or maybe they get hard and ready, but you just want to go, hey, can I enhance this experience? Can I take, can I take this rock solidness to the next level? You go to Blue Chew. Bluechew.com. That's B-L-U-E Chew.com. B-L-E, sorry, B-L-U-E Chew.com. Bluechew.com. And I want you to use the code tech and you're going to get your first order for free. No embarrassing, uh, you know, doctor visits or anything. All this gets done online. This is how you want to go about it. Use that code tech, get your first order free. Make sure though, uh, uh, well, you know, understand that when you use the code tech, you're still going to pay $5 for shipping, but you want to jump on this. Okay. It has the same active ingredients as uh, Cialis and Viagra. Okay. You know, this is going to rock bluechew.com. Use that code tech. And I thank them for sponsoring sovereign tech. All right. Now let's, uh, let's get into some of the foreplay here. Uh, we got a, got a little bit, you know, of course we celebrated telegram. Woohoo. Uh, happy to celebrate, celebrate signal when that time comes around. I'm totally on board with that, but, uh, you know, something interesting, you know, speaking of smartphones, uh, I was surprised to say the least. So in the past uh, week, I suppose it was, Samsung had their reveal event for the Galaxy Note 10 and also the Galaxy Note 10 Plus, uh, one of their major, you know, one of their flagship phones. You know, it's pretty much between the Galaxy S series and the Galaxy Note series, even though the size differential and things that they used to be, there's not a whole lot of difference. Basically, the Galaxy Note series now is just the phone. It's still the big ass phone, but then so is the Galaxy S, especially the Plus version. Now the Galaxy Note version is just the one that still has the stylus for people that are into that sort of thing. And whatever, I don't really see the point, but uh, I know there are people who love it and they, you know, they really, they wouldn't give it up for anything. But anyway, they were having their big reveal event. Um, the specs, frankly, aren't important. We actually, I think we talked about it in the last episode of Sovereign Tech, episode 337, uh, we were mentioning about the 108 megapixel camera coming down the line, like, and just what the fuck. Uh, so anyway, these specs are basically meaningless now, you know. Uh, I mean, these smartphones, sure, they might not run a full-on OS, but I mean, 
how much more do you do these things need? How much more power do they really need? You know, now maybe Samsung's trying to make an interesting case for this, and I'll I'll explain why. Uh, Because I was surprised that during the event, and I still torture myself, you could say, in watching these events. Uh, I watch them after the fact. I don't watch them live. I I can't believe for a second that there is value to live commentating on these events, even the Apple events. I, I just, I, I, I don't believe it. Oh man, boy. How about those, how about those recalled MacBooks getting banned off of airlines, man? You want to see some fucking wrath. Look at those Apple fanboys. <laughs> those planes are not going to take off if they can't go with their MacBooks. I mean, what do you expect though? When, when the battery in MacBooks, I mean, it's, it's like injection molding. I mean, like they're, they're just, they're pouring the battery into these laptops Right? There's no actual battery. It's just like liquid that, that slides into any empty slot that they possibly can in these ridiculously thin computers that nobody asked for them to be that thin. Uh, I mean, of course these things are going to start setting on fire. I mean, <laughs> folks, it's thermodynamics. I mean, you can't... Oh, Whatever. You need it thinner and lighter. Uh, the Galaxy Note series, to its credit, while it has gotten thinner and lighter to some degree, hasn't gotten that much thinner and lighter because you still have to have the stylus, right? So, you know, I'll give credit where it's due. Um, but something Samsung's been developing for a while. Anyway, oh, sorry. So I was going to say, I watched this, and the moment that surprised me, just when I thought a Samsung event couldn't get any more cliche or boring, suddenly, Satya Nadella walks out. That's right, the CEO of Microsoft. Um he comes walking out and starts chatting up the fact that the Galaxy Note 10 uh, A is going to be sold in Microsoft stores. That's not exactly big news, right? Because Microsoft has done that for a while. They did that back with, I mean, this is like four or five years ago with the Galaxy S6. And if you remember, also, they had the Microsoft edition of the Galaxy S8 that was only available in Microsoft stores and came with preloaded apps. But that leads to the real deal here. So yes, the Galaxy Note 10 is going to be sold in Microsoft stores, but no matter where you buy it, it is going to come bundled with a shit ton of Microsoft apps. This includes the the Office Suite, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook, all pre-installed. LinkedIn's going to be there as well, so is OneDrive. In fact, I think it's going to default to, if I remember right, it defaults to uploading your photos, like your gallery photos, to OneDrive. So this is way more interesting than any specs Samsung could really announce. Um, and I think that there's this points at Samsung being very afraid. You know, in the last episode of the show, we were talking about how uh, Huawei is coming out with Harmony OS uh, and that they want to be a contender or they might feel they need to be to get out of problems with sanctions and this trade war and, and whatever bullshit, you know, that the U.S. is pulling, frankly, uh, they feel a need, clearly, to, you know, just to ward that off. And doing so, they are creating their own operating system. Now, Samsung tried that as well. Okay, they tried a Harmony OS uh, little trick. I mean, it wasn't as interesting as what Harmony OS might be trying to do with being a real-time operating system. But they were trying, what they tried with Tizen to make that a thing. And it had a compatibility layer with Android apps and all this. And they just, I mean, I think they had it in a watch and it worked there. They even had Tizen events and everything. And it just, it wasn't happening. Understand, Samsung wants to be really its own tech giant. In fact, when we were talking about 
Oh, what was it? Um, Cashmere Hill. She she had a name for the like the big four. And I actually laid it or the big five is like the fearsome five or the something like that of, you know, the tech giants that you tried to she remember she tried to get away from them, tried not to use their services and all and how, quote unquote, impossible that was. Um, and then we on Sovereign Tech, we upped the ante a bit and we called it the Sinister Six because I added in Samsung to that number. And understand, I think Samsung wants to be in that number. Samsung wants to be Apple and they don't want to be. Here's the key. And we've talked about this many times over the years. They don't want to be beholden to Google. And they're probably learning the lesson from what's happening with Huawei, how they are beholden to Android effectively and the Google Play Store. And Samsung probably wants to get away with it, get away from that. Now, two things. One, uh, Samsung has, as I'm sure I know many of my listeners have had Samsung phones over the years. They've had a lot of their own apps that really just do what some bundled Google apps would do, and they would just bundle it with their phones already. And a lot of those, like their music app and a bunch of others, have been canceled. In fact, the only Samsung app, as far as I can tell, that has really like taken off in any way, and in fact might even be something that people with a non-Samsung phone might actually install on their Android phone, is their web browser. The Samsung web browser is a very, very popular piece of software that gets used a lot and has very interesting market share numbers in as far as, uh, you know, uh, smartphones go, as far as uh, Android phones go. So it's interesting. Now, keep that in mind. It's interesting that you get a lot of, you know, Microsoft is basically providing alternative apps for a lot of apps that Samsung killed. And I mean, there's no music app here, but then even Microsoft basically ceded to Spotify as Samsung has as well. But notice they didn't put Microsoft Edge on here. Like you're getting a full Microsoft suite of apps right down to LinkedIn. But no Edge, no browser. They're not doing the browser. And of course, that makes sense because, again, the Samsung web browser is a very popular and I would argue well done as far as feature set goes. Well done uh, a piece of kit. So that doesn't really, you know, surprise me. But here's the thing is that, and, and we saw that we talked about this years ago on the show when uh, Cyanogen Mod, which became the company Cyanogen Inc., which all of that went the way of the dodo. And now we're left with Lineage OS, which is totally fine. I like to keep a community uh, style, you know, but Cyanogen and they were dealing with Oppo, the phone manufacturer. They were trying to become the Android alternative. Right. And Lineage OS still is ultimately an Android alternative, but that's what they were shooting for. And one of the ways that they, you know, one of the companies that was buying into and investing heavily into Cyanogen Inc. at the time, which at the time Cyanogen Mod, you know, that was like a, it, it's an alternative ROM. It's an Android you know, based ROM that, that you could run on your phone. It's it's still really Android as an operating system. It just has a lot of custom features to it. Um, anyway. Big fan of Lineage OS. I have it on a couple of my phones and on my tablet, actually. So anyway, um, Microsoft was heavily investing in Cyanogen. And that's because I think Microsoft was wanting to get in on the app game that plays closer to what people are used to experiencing with Android phones and really cheaper phones that Microsoft could never really get off the ground, even when they tried to offer cheaper phones with Windows 10 Mobile. 
So I don't find this surprising that now Microsoft is trying again, because again, Microsoft, their bread and butter is not Windows. Their bread and butter, we, we talked about this last week, we've talked about it for years. Their bread and butter now is, ever since Windows 7, frankly, after, or you know, post Windows 7, their bread and butter is Office 365 and Xbox. That's how they make money. And of course, a ton of government contracts and Azure. But that's how they make money. So, and really, all that they're putting onto the Galaxy Note 10 from Samsung is Office 365 That's and LinkedIn. That's really what they're offering you here. So Microsoft is going to do money off of you potentially buying into Office 365 and getting a subscription with that, which if you're into that sort of thing, if that's something you need, it is a great deal. I, I've never not said that. Okay. Um, but what Samsung is hoping for is that here is a really established player a, you know, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend that can take on Google. And then maybe Samsung could even consider if like they get everybody on board with Microsoft, then they can start getting them away from say Android and even the play store. Right. Uh, I mean, even though they'll have like an Android compatibility, you know, layer like Tizen did of some kind, I'm sure maybe they can get into their own operating system. And also this allows them to take on, frankly, iPhone. Uh, this is a power play on Samsung's part. Is it going to take off? Well, that's that's debatable, but they did it right with the right phone. Okay, what I mean by that is, is that having, the, again, the differentiator with the Note, with the Note series, the Galaxy Note series is a stylus. And that infers that people like to really get in, get their productivity on with, uh, you know, with the Galaxy Note series. Okay, because of the stylus. And so, and, and who does productivity better than Microsoft in most people's eyes? I'm not saying mine. I'm saying in most people's eyes. Yeah, it's Microsoft. So that's a, that's a winning move. Now, the other interesting thing is, and this is where I feel like Samsung, though, is taking two steps back, is their uh, DeX platform, which is what basically allowed you to take a Samsung Galaxy phone or any phone that was DeX compatible, allowed you to hook it up to a dock and turn a, you know, a, a keyboard, mouse, and monitor into basically a Linux computer of sorts. Uh, that's what DeX really allowed for. Okay, where your phone could become your PC as well if you plugged it into this, uh, you know, specific dock. Now what they're doing though, and I thought that that was a fine move. Like I have no problem with that. I thought, you know, Ubuntu phone was gonna try that years ago and I thought that that was great. But now what they're doing instead, and they're not the first ones to do, to do this. Uh, Asus did this as well. I remember my, my Zen phone could do this. But basically, now their DeX platform allows you to plug in a Samsung phone into a Windows PC, you know, USB, whatever, and it will create, it'll open up a, like a window that is really just a mirror of your phone screen. And you can use the apps and everything right on your Windows 10 desktop. Okay. Now, playing ball with Windows like that, again, I get why they're doing it. But I really feel like, like, what, what are you doing? Like Windows is dying. Don't even bother, you know, setting that up unless that it's just a way to, I don't know, maybe entreat more, uh, uh, Microsoft fanboys. You know, I mean, that's the only thing I could figure, but I feel like that's going two steps back where it could get interesting to have a pocket computer that could really act like a PC once you put it into a dock and you get to use a real computing environment like Linux. That's where Windows 10, uh, uh, <laughs> okay, need I say more? I feel like it's some steps back, but you know, I get it. I mean, but that's really understand that this is all about, I mean, and, and what a weird, you know, we were talking last week about the Alliance 
that seems to be developing or that's potentially developing between Amazon and Microsoft, of all things. What a triad that would be of Samsung, Amazon, and Microsoft. And, you know, those conversations might be happening because it's amazing that Samsung hasn't really gotten, I mean, they had Bixby, but they didn't really get into the smart speaker space so much. When you think Samsung, I mean, they, they, they'll make a product out of anything. And it was kind of surprising that they didn't. Uh, maybe there's some plans here. I don't know. I, I, it, it's interesting. And I mean, seeing Satya Nadella come up at the Samsung event, I mean, that is a pretty hardcore push for Microsoft to stay a player in the way that makes the money, again, with Office 365 in the mobile space. Would I use it? No, <laughs> not, not at all. I want I want a real alternative that is something that stands outside of the tech giants that exist, right? I want something with a little more, a, little, a lot, well, no, not a little more, a lot more openness uh, and that isn't beholden even to really what I consider to be the sixth tech giant, that being uh, Samsung, or as we've called over the years, Scamsung. So anyway, I just I thought it was an interesting event to see. There's my little bit of a review. There's not a whole lot to really talk about other than that. I mean, I did talk about that, I guess, for about 10 minutes, but <laughs> that's that's really what you've got. So let's get into our, our last bit for the foreplay. Um, and that is this is, you know, me actually. Well, here, let me pull up. Uh, let me pull up the email, shall I, uh, that I actually got from the Sovereign Tech listener. Again, she's great. It says, uh, I just it, or it says uh, training the 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 subject line for the email, training bias and AI, quote, hate speech detector, end quote. Uh, here's the email. I just finished listening to Sovereign Tech number 337, and this showed up in my RSS feed. Yep, Savzu was right once again. And uh, anyway, here's the story. The story's actually from Boing Boing. Uh, so, and it's, so again, I didn't have to say I'm right. You're telling me I'm right, and thank you. <laughs> I'm honored. But here it is. Here's the headline from Boing Boing. Uh, training bias and AI, quote, hate speech detector, end quote, means that tweets by black people are far more likely to be censored. Now, it's a very short story, so I, I want to read it quick, and it's, it doesn't really warrant a full segment, but it plays off nicely what we were talking about in episode 337, where I was saying that, you know, there was the concern around that people didn't know Skype, the Skype translator, speaking of Microsoft, um, in fact, was Skype on that list of apps? I don't think it was. That's that's very interesting too, but we'll save that conversation for another time that that wasn't on the Samsung or on the, the Galaxy Note 10. But basically, Skype, Skype Translator was recording and allowing other humans from a third party, uh, hire, you know, a contractor hired by Microsoft uh, to listen to snippets of what you're saying. And we had some of the transcripts from that, which... It was very clear. Some of it was very private stuff. Some of it was sexual, you know, lovey-dovey, all kind of business that you probably don't want anyone else to hear or maybe even see if there was video involved. Um, but regardless, my point was, and that was in the last episode, and you want to listen to it because we break it down pretty heavy. My point in that was that it doesn't matter if it's an AI, an algorithm, machine learning, or whatever, that's, or if it's a person that's doing the listening on what on the data that has to be collected for these services to quote unquote work better okay that being what you say and and how that all gets translated and how you speak because ultimately at the end of the day behind any of those algorithms ai machine learning whatever ultimately there is a person behind it either the person programmed it or there is a person that has access to what that ai has access to 
And that was kind of my main point that the story that, that was that broke about the whole Skype thing com- seemed to completely ignore was that it doesn't matter. I mean, like, if you think that humans aren't listening, well, you know, I've, I've got some stuff uh, or, you know, I have a bridge in China to sell you. Actually, I might actually have a bridge to sell you in China. So that's not a great uh, a great saying to use for you. But <laughs> you, get, <laughs> you get my point. So. This is pointing at the fact that, and and because, you know, one of the things, the reason why people seem to be more comfortable with AI is because they're like, well, you know, a computer can do a better job than a human. A human can screw up a computer, you know, computer doesn't lie. Computer doesn't screw up and the computer doesn't have any stake in what I'm doing. And I said, no, that's not true at all. You know, like to, to suggest that somehow computers are less flawed than humans is ignoring the fact that humans are inherently flawed and they are as wonderful and beautiful creatures as we are. We are flawed. You know, humans are inherently flawed, and they're the ones that program the AI. So the AI is inherently flawed because its programmer is, right? And this is exactly what this story from August 14th, okay, after I recorded that episode and everything, that's exactly what the story is saying, is that, holy shit, this thing was programmed by a person, and it looks like perhaps, well, let me read the story. More bad news for Google's beleaguered spinoff, Jigsaw, which Jigsaw is one of the, it's the J under the, uh, you know, umbrella company of Alphabet. Anyway, reading on. Uh, whose flagship project is Perspective, a machine learning system designed to catch and interdict harassment, uh, hate speech, and other undesirable online speech. From the start, Perspective has been plagued by problems, but the latest one is a doozy. University of Washington experts have found that Perspective misclassifies inoffensive writing as hate speech far more frequently when the author is black. Specifically, candidate uh, candidate texts written in African American English, AAE, are 1.5 times more likely to be rated as offensive than texts written in, quote, white-aligned English, end quote. The authors do a pretty good job of pinpointing the cause. The people who hand-labeled the training data for the algorithm were themselves biased and incorrectly, systematically, and incorrectly, systematically misidentified AAE writing as offensive. And since machine learning models are no better than their training data, though they are often worse, the bias in the data propagated through the model. In other words, garbage in, garbage out remains the iron law of computing and has not been repealed by the deployment of machine learning systems. Basically, what they're saying, garbage in, garbage garbage out, what they're basically saying is, is that, you know, a computer is only as good as the person who programs it. Well, guess what? In case you hadn't noticed... (laughs) <laughs> and if you haven't been listening to the show for seven years, some of these people in Silicon Valley are pretty fucking questionable. And I know I have listeners there, but I hope you know, you know who I'm talking about. Reading out, here's a quote. We analyze racial bias in widely used corp, uh, corpora of annotated toxic language, establishing uh, correlations between annotations of offensiveness and the African-American English dialect. We show that models trained on these corpora uh, propagate these biases as AAE tweets are twice as likely to be labeled offensive compared to others. Finally, we introduce dialect and race priming, two ways to reduce annotator bias by highlighting the dialect of a tweet in the data annotation and show that it significantly decreases the likelihood of AAA tweets being labeled as offensive. We find strong evidence that extra attention should be paid to the confounding effects of dialect so as to avoid, uh, so as to avoid unintended racial biases in hate speech detection. Um, so there it is. I mean, <laughs> again, the AI, the algorithm, machine learning, pick your, pick your buzzword of the fucking week. 
It's only as good as the humans programming it, and you tell me who you trust from these tech giants. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, point proven. You know, what does it matter? Like, why, you know, with, with the Skype situation last week, well, we didn't know humans were listening to it. it so what? What, what is it, an AI is going to do a better job? Or an, an AI is any better? Fuck no. An AI is even more, it seems more likely. And this ain't grow. this isn't growing pains, folks. Stop, stop giving me that shit. This is the problem. Humans are flawed creatures. They're programming shit, uh, you know, programming this shit, whether, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. Okay, but the but you know the machine learning is more likely to ban your account, and ultimately that's what perspective is really all about. We talked about this some time ago uh, when this was first announced. But there's no you know this idea that it's designed to find harassment, hate speech, and undesirable online speech. Understand that especially that last part, undesirable online speech. Well, fuck, I and I know for a fact because I get the hate mail. There's a lot of people who consider me to be undesirable online speech. Just the things that I say. And I'm the most peaceful guy on the fucking planet. And yes, I am. This is designed. This is meant perspective from Jigsaw via AlphaGoog is all about control. And boy, you know, undesirable speech. It looks like it has a problem with what it might consider to be undesirables, that being black people. Take that for what you, I mean, wow. I read this, you know, as soon as this came in, I said, well, that's going right into the show. Because this is, you want to talk about, here, Google, you're you're trying to, to filter out offensive speech. You are offensive. You are offensive to minorities. You are offensive to people who have enough shit to deal with in this world right now, especially with that asshat in office. You know who I'm talking about, Big Orange. They sure as hell, I mean, and, and, you know, this was, what was it? What was the, uh, 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 the video technology that it, it also like, like it, it centered in on, on black people specifically. Oh, actually, no, it was, it was Google photos. This was back in like 2015. And I think they finally got some little quick work around to go in 2018, but Google photos was identifying black people as gorillas. I'm not kidding. It sounds like a twisted, fucked up joke, but that's exactly what it did. And where do you think that, I mean, how did Google Photos, how did that come together? I guarantee you that came from some kind of biases from the programmer, just like what's happening with perspective. And it's disgusting. So, yeah, folks, you know, I, I get it. You're, you don't like the fact that, well, humans are curating this stuff. Humans are listening to snippets of what you say via Skype. Humans are, you know, doing this and that. Uh, that a, the, the AI that you apparently want, would rather have it do the job is only as good as the human being. But if you don't trust the human beings, and that's why you're up in arms because human beings are reading what's going on, you sure as fuck better not trust the AI. And again, don't give me the growing pain stuff. How much more data do they fucking need? For fuck's sake, they collect everything. That's why the smartphone is inherently insecure. Like we talked about two episodes ago, and we were talking about earlier in this episode. Okay, it's because it's just spilling out metadata constantly about you. And somebody or multiple groups are constantly collecting that. How much more data do they need to make this work? Or the better question is, the sovereign tech version of that question would be, is how much more data do you need before you realize this shit's never going to work? But it gets worse. It gets worse. 
let's go into our lead story. Let's go into our main story for uh, for this week. And this is something because just when you think, God damn it, it's bad. No, 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 no. <laughs> it only gets worse. Understand, folks, you know, before I read this story, because I, well, I hate to say this, I hope it gets you as angry and as, as concerned and enraged as it did me. Don't get violent out there, folks. Peace is the way. There's no need for violence on this. Okay, don't react that way. But you can get mad, okay? It's okay to get fucking mad. And it's okay to say that that's enough. And maybe after you hear this, you will. But understand that I am, as I say often on the show, I am a short-term pessimist, but a long-term optimist. I think that in the future, it's going to be okay. But it could be a hell of a road before we get to where it's going to be okay. So let's let's read this story. Uh, this is actually I'll I'll give credit where it's due, even though we we've uh, critiqued Gizmodo, or I know it's Gizmodo, but Gizmodo, we've critiqued them often on this show. Uh, but credit where it's due. This is uh, by Brian uh, Menegas, and the headline is "This is how you're being manipulated." Now. I'm going to stop right there. That headline is manipulating you. It is absolutely manipulating you. Don't, you know, it's just, it, it, it's ironic. Okay. And, but fortunately, as when we get to the comments section on this article, you're going to see that the author is very self-aware of what he had done. And maybe he even did it kind of tongue in cheek. So I'm going to let that one slide. This story is from June 25th. 2019. And here we go. This is from a hearing. Uh, I had this saved for a good while. Uh, and I finally got around to reading it and just was motherfucker. You know, that that's, that's all that I could say. What you're going to hear in this understand is again, a lot of things we've already covered, theorized, hypothesized, discussed, brought up solutions for over the years on this show. It's part of the reason I do the show. But to have it all in one little cohesive story, in one Senate hearing, I think is very valuable to have. And I want to add it into the corpus that is Sovereign Tech. So here we go. How you are being, how this is how you're being manipulated. At a preliminary Senate hearing today on the subject of potentially putting legislative limits on the persuasiveness of technology, a diplomatic way of saying the addiction model the Internet uses to keep people engaged in clicking, Tristan Harris, the executive director of the Center for Humane Technology, told lawmakers that while rules are important, what needs to come first is public awareness. Not an easy task. Algorithms and machine learning are terrifying, confusing, and somehow also boring to think about. However, quote, one thing I have learned is that if you tell people this is bad for you, they won't listen. If you tell people this is how you're being manipulated, no one wants to feel manipulated, end quote. Now, I want to stop on that for a second. That's, you know, that reframing, kind of like we just did about all the data being collected. Reframe it. When do we find out that this is never going to work instead of, you know, well, with enough data, eventually it will work. Now, reframe the question, and I think that, or reframe the statement. And I think that this is a great thing is, is, you know, instead of saying this is bad for you, which I've been doing for a long time, change it to what the, the action that's happening to the person. 
this is how you're being manipulated. Yeah, I bet you're going to get more ears perking up, and that's something I need to add to my own personal repertoire with this show. Reading on. Given that he went to Stanford specifically to study persuasiveness, uh, granted in a technological setting, let's give Mr. Harris's hypothesis a try, pulling from the expert testimony of today's witnesses, of which he did the lion's share of the talking. Let's begin with the simple, with, with something simple we do hundreds of times a day, to the point where it's completely automatic and seemingly innocuous, according to Harris. Quote, it starts with techniques like pull to refresh. So you pull to refresh your newsfeed. And Stanley Breaking, and you know what I mean. You, you scroll your thumb down and it refreshes the feed of whatever you have there. That operates, reading on, that operates like a slot machine. It has the same kind of addictive qualities that keep people in Las Vegas hooked. Other examples are removing stopping cues. So if I take the bottom out of this glass and I keep refilling the water or the wine, you won't know when to stop drinking. That's what happens with infinitely scrolling feeds. End quote. Of course, the... And, the story goes on. Of course, the addictive qualities of platforms are also a result of their so-called network effects, where they grow in power exponentially based on how many people are already on them. Quote, with the introduction of likes and followers, it was much cheaper, instead of getting your attention, to get you addicted to getting attention from other people. There's a follow button on each profile. That doesn't seem so much like a dark pattern. That's what's so insidious about it. You're giving people a way to follow each other's behavior, but what it actually is doing is an attempt to cause you to come back every day because you want to see, do I have more followers than I did yesterday? End quote. The longer you spend in these ecosystems, the more machine learning, uh, the more machine learning systems can optimize themselves against user preferences. Stallion breaking in, of course, keep in mind that that machine learning is also coming with a human bias of the programmers, like we were just talking about, which creates its own problems. But we discussed that earlier, so I think that we can add that into the cohesive narrative and whole that Harris is uh, bringing to light here at this Senate hearing. Let's go on. Uh, in the moment, quote, in the moment you hit play, it wakes up an avatar a voodoo doll-like version of you inside of a Google server. And that avatar, based on all the clicks and likes and everything you ever made, those are like your hair clippings and toenail clippings and nail filings that make the avatar look and act more and more like you. So that inside of, of a, so that inside of a Google server, they can simulate more and more possibilities about, quote, if I prick you with this video, if I prick you with this video, how long would you stay? And the business model is simply what maximized watch time. So basically what he's saying there is, is that on Google servers, okay, this machine learning that you've been hearing about for years, right, is basically creating a virtual you. And it is figuring out and feeding this into your version, say, of the YouTube homepage of what is going to get you to watch this. What are you most likely to watch? Now, this can fail miserably. But even the fact that they're trying this should bother you because they are trying to play off of your addictions and, and, and really like wrapped your attention uh, at all costs. Because again, what is it really all about? It's not about you getting, uh, you know, educated, learning something new or being entertained. It's about you seeing ads or maybe paying for the YouTube premium service, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you know, it could be either or. 
or both. But uh, regardless, let's read on. As you've learned through research, reporting, and individual experience, there are quite a few negative externalities associated with solving for engagement and engagement alone. Again, that's that's what they're saying is the, the, the holy metric, the holy thing that they're going for, the thing that they want. Everything is about getting engagement, and then they can show that to advertisers, and then they make more money, uh, or maybe they learn more about you, and then who knows what sinister designs they have, but that's me reading off and going off into the sunset on that. Let us continue with what Harris has to say at the Senate hearing, quote, it's calculating what is the thing it can show you that gets the most engagement, and it turns out that outrage, moral outrage, gets the most engagement. Stallion breaking in for a second. Yeah, I suppose that kind of happens with the show too sometimes, but I'm just genuinely outraged, you understand? <laughs> it's not for me to like get more listeners. I don't want to go around the world this way. I'd like to be, I'd like, I'd like for it to be the exact fucking opposite, and I can't wait for the day when it is, and I think that day will come. And I will still be doing Sovereign Tech on that day. But right now, I'm outraged because I'm genuinely fucking outraged. It is not because I want engagement out of that. And also, I am, as far as I can tell, not on Google servers. At least I hope not. Uh, anyway, continuing. Uh, this is Harris uh, talking still to the Senate. It was uh, the U.S. Senate, if you... I mean, the, obviously. It was found in a study that for every word of moral outrage you add to a tweet... It increases your retweet rate by 17%. In other words, the polarization of our society is actually part of the business model. As recently as just a month ago on YouTube, if you did a map of the top 15 most frequently mentioned verbs or keywords on the recommended videos, they were hates, debunks, obliterates, destroys. That kind of thing is the background radiation that we're dosing 2 billion people with. If you imagine a spectrum on YouTube, on my left side, there's the calm Walter Cronkite section of YouTube. On my right side, there's crazy town, UFOs, conspiracy theories, Bigfoot, whatever. If I'm YouTube and I want to, I want you to watch more, which direction am I going to send you? I'm never going to send you to the calm section. I'm always going to send you towards crazy town. So now you imagine 2 billion people like an ant colony of humanity, and it's tilting the playing field towards the crazy stuff. End quote. Worse yet, it works staggeringly well. YouTube in particular gets around 70% of its traffic from recommendations, which are powered by these sorts of algorithms. And while altering what information people get is catastrophically bad in and of itself, the implementation of algorithms isn't limited to tweets and YouTube videos, as uh, AI Now Institute Policy Research Director Rashida Richardson stated, quote, so this is Rashida Richardson, not, not Harris. Quote, the problem with a lot of these systems is they're based on data sets which reflect all of our current conditions, which also means any imbalances in our conditions. Amazon's hiring algorithm was found to have gender disparate outcomes, and that's because it was learning from prior hiring practices. Stallion breaking in on this. There's more, but Stallion breaking in. There it is, what we were just talking about with Jigsaw and Perspective and what we were talking about last week in episode 337. Okay, the pro these the all of this programming is based upon human biases. You can't help but have them there. This is why when we talk about like there's all these blockchain conferences where uh, like Identity 2020 and this other stuff where they'd be talking, oh, let's use blockchain for this and for this and for this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But what are your, like your stated purposes and everything? And when you find out what their goals are, you're like, holy shit, well, that doesn't sound like freedom. I don't want your identifying technology. So this can even infect the blockchain space, and it has already, uh, even though Bitcoin rolls on and Satan bless it. <laughs> this is such a wonderful technology. Anyway, reading on. 
they determine, this is the quote again from Richardson, they determine where our children go to school, whether someone will receive Medicaid benefits, who is sent to jail before trial, which news articles we see, and which job seekers are offered an interview. They are primarily developed and deployed by a few power companies and therefore shaped by these companies' values, like we were just talking about, incentives, and interests. While most technology companies promise that their products will lead to broad social benefit. Pause. Pause. I want you to consider this part. This, this is dynamite. And this is from a research institute that is heavily, you know, that is looked into, again, researched, what they're claiming here, what Richardson is claiming. I'm going to read this last sentence again. While most technology companies promise that their products will lead to broad social benefits, there's little evidence to support these claims. And in fact, mounting evidence points to the contrary. A few episodes ago, we discussed the philosophy of Silicon Valley, where there's this idea that that more open communication and just more and more technology, more integration of technology, interconnecting things more and more, that that can only be better and that that is going to lead to broad societal benefits, like Richardson said. But now this institute says, where? Where are these benefits? In fact, actually, it's not just, we're not just not seeing the benefits, we're actually seeing the exact fucking opposite, which this whole article is laying out. Is that you feel like, oh, society's so divided, you know? It, well, it, it, technology is practically forcing us in those directions. This gets to a, a very old argument, an old point that I made. This is back when, with Microsoft, speaking of Microsoft, Microsoft's Tay. Remember Tay? Remember that little racist chatbot? Chat I mean, it was only as good as the humans that were talking to it. But it proved a point that I made all those years ago. When was that? 2013, 2014? And that is we, as a species, we are not ready for the technology that we have at our fingertips. We're not prepared. We haven't developed far enough to, to really be able to handle what we have, what we're capable of doing with this very technology, right down to the smartphone. Let's read on. Abandoning these systems is made because, right, that's Stanley breaking in. That's the answer. Well, just fucking leave them. Le I, I say it all the time. Delete your Facebook account. And, and not just your Facebook account. Delete everything Facebook. In fact, I'm even concerned about Oculus because they just lost their, and other than John Carmack, now there's no original guy there. Uh, but anyway, delete everything. Instagram, WhatsApp, get rid of it all. But here we go. What, what happens when you try that? Let's read it. Abandoning these systems is made as difficult as possible, too. Harris gives the example of Facebook. Quote, if you say, I want to delete my Facebook account, it puts up a screen that says, are you sure you want to delete your Facebook account? The following friends will miss you. And it puts up faces of certain friends. Now, am I asking to know which friends will miss me? No. Does Facebook ask those friends, are they going to miss me if I leave? No. They're calculating which are the five faces that are most likely to get you to hit cancel. I'm going to stop on that for a second. That's end quote, okay, from Harris there. Um, and this points at what happened in F8 of 2019, where they're creating a dating service. You think that isn't about getting you, keeping you, and like, you know, they set up this whole thing where you can star people and you find out who might secretly have a crush on you and all this shit. If you think that that's not, at the end of the day, the ultimate purpose of that, or one of the ultimate purposes of that, is to get you to stay on Facebook. If you don't think that's true, you're nuts. 
That's the same thing as his five faces. <gasps> but Jenny might like me. Billy might have a thing for me. I can't delete my Facebook account right now. Despite all the unethical fucking practices that Facebook does, and if especially, boy, if you're uh, of the leftist persuasion and what seems to be mounting evidence somehow that, that Facebook is behind President Trump, behind big-ass orange, getting in office, you still keep that Instagram account. Shame on you. I'm not kidding. Reading on. And much of the data needed to power these systems, again, according to Harris, does not even require the arguably uninformed consent of allowing our data to be collected. Quote, without any of your data, I can predict increasing features about you using AI. There was a paper recently that with 80% accuracy, I can predict your same big five personality traits that Cambridge Analytica got from you without any of your data. All I have to do is look at your mouse movements and click patterns. Based on tweet text alone, we can know your political affiliation with, uh, with about 80% accuracy. A computer can calculate that you're a uh, homosexual before you might know you're homosexual. They can predict with 95% accuracy that you're going to quit your job, according to an IBM study. They can predict that you're pregnant, end quote. Stephen Wolfram, now, well, Stanley breaking in on that one. I want just a little bit of, uh, of clear sky on this. That 20%, that 20% is a big margin for error. And we can exist and live within those margins for error. So, I mean, that, that just points at that there's a way to obfuscate a lot of this. But still, the point is fairly sound, and it continues with the narrative. So let's keep going. Stephen Wolfram, whose name you might recognize from Knowledge Engine Wolfram Alpha, also gave testimony where he explained to our counties, uh, or our countries, I think it meant, countries' lawmakers, that their entire premise of algorithmic transparency fundamentally misunderstands how this technology works. Quote from Stephen Wolfram. If, if you go inside those programs, there's usually embarrassing, embarrassingly little that we humans can understand in there. And here's the real problem. It's sort of a fact of basic science that if you insist on explainability, then you can't get the full power of a computational system or an AI. I don't see a purely technical solution. So I want to stop on that. What, what Wolfram's saying here is that for an AI to do its thing, it needs to develop like its own code that wasn't something necessarily that was programmed by a human. But then that runs into its own problem because even that, even its own code, largely, and, and we've talked about this, there are events where like uh, uh, they set up, there was two computers and they started communicating in a language that no human wrote, right? I, I mean, it wasn't as as big a deal as, as a lot of journalistic institutions were making it, but that's kind of what I think he means. I'm guessing that's more what he means by that, okay, is that, if you if you're saying well we need to understand the code we have to have this trans uh, you know it has to be transparent blah 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 that actually keeps these things from working better uh, again that just points at that perhaps you know if trans if things being transparent okay and having real open source and understand having understandability that a human can understand if that is a necessity which I might argue that it is I'm not saying I agree with the the Senate or anything and I don't think they even begin to understand this shit at all um, but yeah, I mean they can't. <laughs> But in my understanding, uh, yes, I want complete understanding because complete understanding means that I have control and all I want is individual control. I don't want to control over anyone else. I just want control over my own life. And so does that lead to, well, maybe this stuff is all a bit of a mistake. Just putting that, those ideas out there. 
but maybe I misunderstood what Wolfram was saying, but, the, but there's what we got. So continuing on, but I mean, he, I think his overall point is, is that, look, you can't understand, not one person can really understand everything. Otherwise it really can't work. And this would be true. I mean, you know, I'm a cryptographer. Okay. Uh, I don't know like every, you know, every cryptographic protocol out there. I can't. Like, I mean, there's no way I could really keep track of all that. But if I was like required to, to, well, anyway, that would run into problems. And I, maybe that's more what he's saying. But let's read on. We don't want to get lost here. Summarizing how bad things have gotten in stark terms, Harris likened big tech to a sort of cult leader. Quote, we have a name for this asymmetric power relationship, and that's a fiduciary relationship or a duty of care relationship. The same standard we apply to doctors, to priests, to lawyers. Imagine a world in which priests only make their money by selling access to the confession booth to someone else, except in this case, Facebook listens to 2 billion people's confessions, has a super supercomputer next to them, and is calculating and predicting confessions you're going to make before you know you're going to make them. Harris's point is that, I mean, and, and one could argue that perhaps this is actually how a lot of religions work, is that they almost want you to be bad because they make money off of you being bad, of having to go to the confessional. And because if you want to go to the confessional, you got to pay for the privilege. Does that sound like a bad deal to you? Does that sound like a, what did they call that back in the day? Does that sound like a raw deal to you? I'll fucking say it does. Reading on. There was one other quote that was particularly striking from today's hearing, but it didn't come from any doomsaying tech expert. It came from Montana Senator. Holy shit. I'm going to quote a senator, and I might even kind of agree with him. Uh, there, look, wow. Just saw a pig fly by. Holy hell. Anyway. It came from Montana Senator John Tester addressing the witness, that being Harris. Quote, again, this is a U.S. Senator. I'll probably be dead and gone and probably be thankful for it when all this shit comes to fruition. Now, that's my kind of language. Now, how many times have I said that exact thing? All this shit. I'm going to read it again. I'll probably be dead. I don't know how old Joe, uh, uh, John Tester is. I mean, I, I can guess how old he has to be as a senator, but I don't know how old he is. But regardless, I'll probably be dead and gone. And here's the, here's the hook. And probably be thankful for it when all this shit comes to fruition. So reading here, while Harris, Richardson, and Wolfram may be able to rattle off dozens of examples of massive abuse of user trust or cite studies showing the negative impacts these technologies have had on the lives of regular, unsuspecting Americans, and obviously this affects a lot more than Americans, folks, Woo! it speaks volumes that a sitting senator would prefer death to the future we're currently building. And I'm going to agree with that. Imagine a grown man. Look, this isn't this. You're not at the bar having a drink. I don't know. Maybe you're doing some yingling or something, rocking some yingling. You're not at a bar. Motley Crue's not playing in the background as much as it should be. And you're just talking like, oh, man, whew, I'd rather die than deal with that. This is a Senate hearing that's supposed to have some kind of bearing and meaning and not be, um, you know, a, a mockery. And you have a grown goddamn man 
saying that he'd be thankful. He's going to be thankful that he'll be dead before whatever the fuck these tech giants have in mind comes to fruition. Holy shit. And I love the fact that he said all this shit. Finally, someone else gets off, <laughs> I won't swear, well, gets off their keister and starts swearing about this stuff besides me. Because I listen to the other tech shows, and the other tech shows, oh, they're so nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, isn't that wonderful? No. Swear words should be flying out of tech shows, especially tech shows that have been around for a good while, because they should recognize what the hell are we doing? I don't believe in politics. I don't give a shit about politics, but I'll give a senator his due in calling it how he saw it and in saying it how it needed to be said right on the Senate floor. All this shit. Now, I want to go down. I want to go down on this because uh, the, um, the comments section at Gizmodo is very interesting, as it often is. Here we go. Uh, in fact, the first line is that is I won't read that one. The first line talks about how the manipulated thing is, you know, the, the headline of the story. This is how you're being manipulated is actually doing exactly what Harris was warning about. And the author of the article actually responded and, and said, rotten all the way down, I say. And, and you know, I mean, he, he knows. <laughs> right. <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> this is all bullshit. The, the whole way that the whole system fucking works is crap. And that's what we've been saying forever. What's, what's the best example I, I gave in the past? And it wasn't even mine, but I, I, I love to use it. Okay, the Romans, the ancient Romans, very advanced, very, very advanced. Created much of, uh, or helped to bring into fruition much of, even though it might have taken a little while for us to rediscover what they had done, uh, created much of the advancements in technology that we have today. Uh, I don't mean like computers necessarily, but, uh, you know, a lot of other things. Uh, one of those being modern plumbing. They had it. They had uh, piping that would, you know, send the shit uh, away from the city and so on. That advanced plumbing, and it was, was made of lead. That lead was feeding not just shit out of the city, but drinking water in. The advanced technology that made the Romans think that life was so goddamn good was also literally driving them insane. I'm going to read you a comment here. Probably not a Sovereign Tech listener, but it's going to raise a point that maybe if I never said it explicitly, you picked up what I was putting down. Here it is. It's one fucking sentence. In fact, his name's Zach Miller. I'm going to give him credit. I've been saying it for years now. The internet was a mistake. Ooh. This technology that allows my voice to be heard. I mean, there's plenty of other ways that that could work. Pirate radio. There's a million ways that I could get my voice out to you. I used to run an FM transmitter out of the back of my Ford Expedition just so that 
other people. I could share it with other people, my favorite podcast. There's ways to make it work, you know, to do alternatives. And that ran off of an MP3 player. Thank you. This technology. A mistake. Driving us mad. Just like the plumbing did to the ancient Romans. You'll probably, and I don't necessarily mean you, the the longtime Sovereign Tech listener, or even the newer Sovereign Tech listener, you know the score. You remember the things I say. That's why you email me, like earlier, saying, hey, you were right. Folks, I, I'm, I'm not here with, with some sense of, uh, 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 you know, that, oh, I can I can tell the future or anything like that. You tell me that I do that. You understand? Okay? You remember the things that I say. They stick with you. I've, I've read plenty of emails where people talk about that sort of thing. So you won't forget. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people will forget this whole thing. So I am putting it all here in one neat package for you to consider. I am putting it here. We're in front of the judge. Exhibit A. The internet, the interconnectedness of the world that we live in right now, as it stands, because I'm not saying there aren't alternatives, and there are, and we have been covering them for years. But as things stand, this interconnectedness is driving us nuts and driving us apart. And maybe we have to rethink the whole goddamn thing from the ground up. I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. No woo from me, not this time. In 2014, he ran from Miami to San Francisco, raising awareness for Bitcoin and the homeless epidemic in America. And now he's doing it again. Blockchain evangelist and advocate for homeless rights, Jason King, is running across North America right now, from Miami to Santa Monica, right now. Five years later, his commitment to promoting blockchain technology and fighting the homeless epidemic in America is stronger than ever. And you can help Jason now by going to blockchainacrossamerica.com. While you're there, donate to Satoshi Forest Sanctuary Incorporated to help the homeless, along with all kinds of other ways you can help. Get involved today. BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. That's BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out BlockTap.io. BlockTap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. BlockTap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at BlockTap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K. T-A-P.io, blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. Hack sick. 
Well, you know, I don't mean to be a, a doomsayer. I don't like to be. I'm actually, you know, you gotta understand, I'm, I'm a genuinely very happy guy. I mean, especially, boy, the stories I could tell you these days. <laughs> I mean, I'm a very, very happy guy. Please don't confuse me. But I also, you know, one of the reasons I do this show is because my opinions, I don't feel, are represented, especially in the tech space. And so I bring it to you. You take it how you find it. You do what you want with it. All right. Are there alternatives to everything I just talked about? Yes. Do, do we have to be incapable of talking to somebody from New Hampshire, and but talking to somebody in Taiwan? No, we can still do all that stuff. Do we have to go back to the telephone? No. We, there, there's plenty of opportunities, but we need to quote Dave Mustaine of Megadeth. If there's a new way, I'll be the first in line, but it better be right this time. And that's the, that's the rub. We've got to get it right this time. So anyway, you know, speaking of phones, though, if uh, and, and actually using a technology to get your voice out there besides the Internet, even though it's well available on there, uh, why don't you check out a Sovereign Tech sponsor? That being Free Talk Live. Go to freetalklive.com. It is the number 27 talk show in the United States. You are going to get a lot of ears on what you're saying, and it is going to come through your radio. Woo, how about that? Uh, so check it out. Seven nights a week, three hours a night. I don't know how the fuck they do it, but they do it. And it's brilliant shit. I want you to check it out. Go to freetalklive.com. And I cannot thank them enough for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Uh, I mean, I was a host of that show for quite a while. It's a good time. I think you'll have a good time if you check it out. Um, anyway, open phones. Did I mention that? Open phones. You can call and talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. You want to talk about the Internet's mistake? I wouldn't mind if you did. In fact, send me the fucking audio. I want to know. Because I think that'd be fantastic to hear other people talking about this. And I'm not the only one out there saying it. Even though I know I'm not the only one. We read from the comments section from Gizmodo. Now, uh, I wish that we could end this with something a little snappier, a little happier. Um, I'm not going to do that in this episode. I want to double down on things that I've been saying for years being proven right. And I look, I don't want to be right. But I am. Here it is from Forbes. This story is a little fresher. Actually, from August 14th, 2019. It's as fresh as it fucking gets because that's the same day that I'm recording this, you understand. New data breach has exposed millions of fingerprint and facial recognition records, report by Zach Doffman. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read some of it here for you, and then I want to talk about it. Even though I'm long-time listeners, you know what I'm going to say. It has been coming for some time, but now the major breach of a biometric database has actually been reported. Facial recognition records, fingerprints, log data, and personal information has all been found on a, quote, uh, a publicly accessible database, end quote. The damage is not yet clear, but the report claims that actual fingerprints and facial recognition records for millions of people have been exposed. The issue with biometric data being stored in this way is that, unlike usernames and passwords, it cannot be changed. Once it's compromised, it's compromised. And for that reason, this breach report will sound, will sound all kinds of alarms. The report published by security researcher, uh, researchers uh, Noam Radham and Rand Lokar at VPN Mentor relates to Suprema, a company describing itself. What a fucking, that's a scary ass name for a company to have, Suprema. You know, thanks. Anyway, uh, a company describing itself as a, quote, a global powerhouse. <laughs> I'm sure, with a name like Suprema, uh, in biometrics, security, and identity solutions. Oh, tell me your solutions, baby. Suprema. 
end quote, uh, with a product range that, quote, includes biometric access control systems, time and attendance solutions, fingerprint live scanners, mobile authentication solutions, and embedded fingerprint modules, end quote. The news of the breach was first published by Wednesday's Guardian newspaper in the UK, which highlighted the use of Suprema solutions by the, quote, Metropolitan Police, Defense Contractors, and Banks, end quote. The breach, though, is international, with Suprema's Biostar 2 Biometric Identity SDK integrated into the uh, AOS, AEOS access control system, quote, used by 5,700 organizations in 83 countries, including governments, banks, and the police, end quote. I want to stop there for a second. One of my initial critiques of biometrics is often that is, yes, it is fingerprints as well as facial recognition, both things that up until, say, 15, or well, no, it's 2019 now, up until maybe 20 years ago, were solely the purview of politicians, military personnel, and criminals. Granted, I just repeated myself three times, but you or two times at least, but you get my point. It, it, it kills me. I've said this so many times, but it kills me that we hand over our fingerprint data and our facial data. You remember mugshots? That's basically facial recognition. That's, that's the whole purpose those served. Even though it was before, you know, there was, it was getting injected into a computer and machine learning. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, every time you go to, to touch the fingerprint sensor on your iPhone, I mean, that, that, that used to be something only criminals did when they were caught, when they were going to jail or prison. You understand? I guess that's how you feel. I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, reading on, Rodham and Lacar uh, found the breach by scanning ports for, quote, familiar IP blocks, end quote, threads they would then follow looking for public-facing data sets, breaches in other words. Uh, the mother load for such research is either sensitive data or large-scale companies. In this instance, they appear to have found both combined, almost 28 million records across more than 23 gigabytes of data, records they claim include, quote, fingerprint data, facial recognition data, face photos of users, unencrypted usernames and passwords, logs of facility access access security levels and clearance, and personal details of staff, end quote. Highly sensitive data was left unencrypted. Well, there's a fuck up, but reading on. The researchers also claim, including, most alarmingly of all, usernames and passwords. Quote, we were able to find plain text passwords of administrator accounts. Uh, the access follows, first of all, seeing millions of users are using the system to access different locations and see in real time which users uh, user enters which facility or which uh, room in each facility. The quote, end quote. The researchers were even able to change data and add new users. The really serious implications here are twofold. First, the manipulation of access control systems for secure sites, editing accounts, changing logs, removing or adding entries, even changing user data. Second, and even more of an issue, the access to actual biometric data that obviously cannot be changed. To lose a password and username is one thing. To have fingerprints, which cannot be changed, so stolen is quite beyond belief. According to the researchers, quote, instead of saving a hash of the fingerprint that can't be reverse engineered, they are saving people's actual fingerprints that can't be copied for malicious purposes, end quote. If true, this biometric data has been left in a usable form, then there need to be questions asked way beyond the breach itself. Um, and now granted, they're saying that since they weren't saved as a hash, which is what Apple does with, you know, with Touch ID, right, with uh, with their fingerprint readers and what a lot of fingerprint readers do as far as smartphones go, uh, they're saying, well, it's just left unencrypted and it's just, you know, out there in the ether. Uh, you could say that, well, we could solve a lot of this, Stallion, if we just saved all those uh, fingerprints as a hash. 
I still think you run into problems with uh, with a lot of this, okay? But let's read on just a little bit more. The researchers told The Guardian they had made multiple attempts to contact Suprema before disclosing their findings. The vulnerability has been shut down, and Suprema spokesperson told The Guardian that company had launched an in-depth evaluation of the report. Quote, if there has been any definite threat on our products and our services, we will take immediate actions and make appropriate announcements to protect our customers' valuable business and assets. End quote. There's nothing they can do. There's literally nothing that they can do. I, I mean, if once the facial recognition data... Usernames, I mean, yeah, those could get changed, but a lot of these security systems based around biometrics, when they're out there and it's unencrypted, it's out there. It's gone. It's done. You can't tell, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, Shep, you can't tell Shep down in, in human resources, hey, you're going to need to get a new hand today because we had a data breach. It doesn't work that way. I want to read this last bit. Biometric security is very much in the news these days, and while many of these headlines have focused on AI-related technologies like facial recognition, more biometric security still relies on fingerprints than anything new, and there is little concern expressed over that level of security for access control or, or immigration. But the risk with the growing levels of biometric data has always been theft, and we have not yet analyzed and understood the ways in which such stolen data might be used. This despite reports of spoofing smartphone security or banking apps. And this is where this story makes me livid. Okay, granted, I'm not surprised nobody at Forbes listens to my show, but no, I have, and I know there are at least a couple other people out there who have absolutely raised the alarm, or sounded the alarm, I should say, or raised the red flag, however you want to go with it, have sounded the alarm on the fact that biometric security raises massive problems, to say nothing of the inefficiency built into the biometric scanner by design. There has to be an inefficiency because if there isn't an inefficiency, if it doesn't account for humans not pressing that little scanner just right, then people are going to get fed up and they will no longer use the biometric scanner because it's going to be too fucking hard for them to unlock their phone quickly in so doing. So they have to build in flaws into biometric security itself. Okay? Even if you say, okay, fine, well, yeah, there was this huge data breach and all of this information got leaked. You know, I mean, has this kind of data actually been breached and leaked before? Yes, it has, but that's back when it was only used for, again, uh, criminals, military personnel, and, uh, you know, politicians. Again, I repeat myself. But this is happening with normal people. And you know, if you are using uh, biometric systems to secure who knows what, you just ran into a huge problem. You're going to have to do a massive layoff. And again, inherently, okay, I mean, this is, I, I'm not glad that this happened. I didn't want this to happen, but I am pleased that it shows that, A, if you don't encrypt this stuff, like biometrics is not something to be taken lightly because it cannot be changed, okay? Now, the next thing that has to happen is, is that it has to be shown that because, let's say, of this leak, you say, well, what could they do with the fingerprint? You know, maybe it's not hot or whatever, or whatever is required to make it work, like, say, on a, on a smartphone fingerprint sensor or something at a, at a doorway that's, that has it locked off. You know, maybe it's not that. But again, because of the programmatic, what is basically inefficiency in the sensor that you have to put into the biometric sensor so that it can actually work and work most of the time, okay? There has to be room for error. And that room for error can be anywhere from, I mean, they've tried to, to, to pin that down more, but you still have a good 30 to 
And when this data that was that was leaked, okay, or when when the, the breach here, when when stuff from this breach can be used to say unlock a door or whatever it can be used against, because we don't exactly know the nature of every installation that this would affect. Well, then you have then it's not a problem of well shit we didn't encrypt the biometrics. Then it's a problem. Wait a minute, biometric technology. If if the, if someone was able to just use this data and break in, well this sucks. Give me a fucking lock and key again. Or whatever you want to use. There's alternatives to even that that aren't based around biometrics. Maybe that time will come. I don't know. But apparently nobody realizes that there are plenty of uh, security researchers out there who are saying biometrics is nonsense. You know, just like we were talking about where Steve Gibson came out and said that, uh, and I support him, that the smartphone is inherently not secure that security on a smartphone is an illusion. And don't even think iPhones, folks. Boy, we, we didn't talk anything about what, what was discussed at Black Hat and what was shown at Black Hat and DEF CON uh, just, this, just recently. Because, man, the iPhone got to talk about getting pwned. Woo! Smartphones are inherently not secure. Biometrics are inherently not secure. Don't give me the brainwave scanner shit either. I, I, I already covered that in an episode and I gave you exact ways that all that could be faked and, and could be a problem and where it could create massive issues. Uh, you, you know, you, that, that's not something you're going to trust or the heartbeat. I mean, these people have such extreme examples and I don't think they've even considered what the infrastructure would look like that would allow your heartbeat being read your brainwaves being scanned, etc., that for those to be practical use cases for some kind of biometric security. Imagine the infrastructure, what that would take and what that infrastructure could do in malicious hands. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I'm going to wrap this baby up. Biometrics, the internet, what could we talk about next? Well, we'll save that for the next Sovereign Tech. Of course, if you want to hear more of this or you have questions you want to ask me about it, you can join the Zomia One Underground and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content. And there is new content every single week, sometimes every day. It's insane. Uh, well, I guess the internet drove me insane. God damn it. Anyway, <laughs> well, that'll be it for this episode of Sovereign Tech. Like I said, I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Go to Zomia1.com. Go sign up, sign up. Come on, support the show. Do it. And check out our sponsors. I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.